the day and I'll go to school tomorrow. First impressions are incredibly important. Honey, you can make a wonderful first impression. Brenda, how could you? He was a jerk, okay? I've made my choice and I choose me. Beverly Hills 90210 aficionados, welcome back to 90210 No So, Beverly Hills 90210 podcast retrospective series. I'm JT, joining me as always on this journey is my buddy Tim. Tim, how are you? I'm pretty good, JT, and you know what? Unlike the various temporary love interests and temporary friends that uh, often intersect episodes of Beverly Hills 90210, our guests on this show are always returning, so got another returning guest from uh season one mm-hmm. and uh why don't you bring him right on in i'm gonna do that yes he did join us back in season one he's here again for a journey through season episode of season two and that is mr rob kindler rob how are you hey i'm doing great thanks for having me back i appreciate it anytime my friend anytime uh since you are a previous guest we don't need to get into your history at the show so that means we can go ahead and dive right into tonight's proceedings which is Season 2, Episode 10. It is the 32nd overall episode of the show, and that is Necessity is a Mother, aired September 26, 1991. Uh, Kind of a a down rating here, 16.5, which is down from the big bump we talked about last episode that was at the 19. Um, So they definitely shed some viewers from the uh, Ashes. So maybe that's why uh, Ashes to Ashes didn't uh, lead to any kind of spitoff or anything like that. (laughs) Pretty big ratings drop here. And that continues over the next couple episodes, too. So things sink a little bit before they get a huge bump toward the end of the year. Yeah, I guess I always try to think of these ratings as more of a commentary on the episode that we just watched. Yeah. Not the one that we're talking about. (laughs) That... uh, that I guess bears the brunt or the good fortune of uh, mm-hmm. of the previous week. Yeah, we'll see. The next the next two definitely the next three are, are kind of low. We we do a little dip and then back to kind of where we are now. And then I don't know what happens in November, but like they go through the roof um, for a while. There's like a massive awesome. one in November, and then they're pretty high for the most part to the end of the year. So. So something hits. We'll see what it is. <laughs> we'll see what triggers it. Kind of have a feeling what it might be. Um, well-timed if it is what we're thinking. Because, you know, you think of November being sweeps, one of the sweeps months, right? Mm-hmm. So kind of a yeah, big Yeah, a lot deal. of heavy promotion and stuff, yeah. That's, yeah, that's if you're going to do your, your biggest ratings, you kind of want to do it in November or a month um, that's getting eyes like November. Um but isn't it crazy that we are uh, just we're still in September of the 1991 mm-hmm. television season already on episode 10. It's <laughs> crazy. I know. It's yeah, just kills me. It's a massive season. I mean, 28 episodes. Yep. So we're making our way, though, uh, and proud of us, Tim. Like we always say, it, very proud of uh, the effort that we continue to, to make here. I know it. To, yeah. And they're fun. Like, I'm really still enjoying rewatching these Um as we get closer, even more and more to the ones I remember, uh, well, I'll be even more exciting. So here we go. So why don't we dive in? Uh, like we mentioned, this aired September 26th. Necessity is a mother. We open inside a pool hall. There's some blues music playing. 
Some bikers mm. are living it up. They're drinking. Dylan's there. He's playing, uh, but he wraps up his game. He's got dinner with his mom. So he goes to cash out. The bartender tells him, hey, your game's getting good. Uh, and uh, inside joke, but Tim, I, I dubbed this guy too long in my notes. Uh, so. <laughs> okay. Where we go? Uh, he says uh, Dylan only owes. Well, he doesn't only. He owes fifteen bucks for three hours, and I, I don't know. Is that a good pool rate? I'm not. I'm, I'm not a pool player, so <sighs> it seemed like a pretty good deal. Three hours of pool playing for fifteen dollars. I know this is nineteen ninety one money, but yeah, uh, I mean, seems reasonable, but I would not be the right person to ask. Right. And again, not not really um, my crowd. Also, nineteen ninety one dollars. <laughs> I. I'm not sure yeah. I could say. Rob, do you could you shed any light on the the yeah, authenticity or really in a pool hall? All my a couple of my friends had their own pool table, so we just went over to there and just house and played. Right, right. Yeah, I grew up with a pool table as well, but I still suck. I just didn't play enough. Um, but the the one we have too is like an authentic. It was in my grandfather's bar, so it's like a real old school heavy slate. Uh, mm pool table so like it's not even easily movable like whoever moves it someday god bless them <laughs> i don't know if it'll yeah. ever leave that house because it's, it's like a fixture of the house probably, oh it is right? a beast yeah i don't know how you'd even get it out of there like it's it's massive um yeah that's what th- my th- friend had well like, what are those like old school ones? Their game room they had to build it around the pool table because they couldn't fit it through the doors right yeah, yeah. there's just no way to yeah. move it those are really cool, though. I mean, I, I think that's a feature more than a bug, certainly. And, like, if you're going to look at a house and know that it has something like that, okay. I would just go in knowing, like, I'm never going to try to move this or do anything with it. Like, it's just – it's a part of the house. Like, a, you know, like, just like you're um, – if you've got, like, a furnace or some right. some appliance that is just built into the uh, the interior, you're, you're not – not you're not ever gonna get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're we have a couple it. of like pool places around here. I don't know if I'd call them a hall. They're more the the way they do now. It feels like it's a little bit more of a. I don't know. It's it's like in between a pool hall and like a Dave and Buster's <laughs> like that. So uh-huh, like, uh-huh. You know, there's like a million pool tables. There's like two big bars, TVs everywhere. Like it's not like a like this place, right? Like a biker pool bar. Like that's more of a. Yeah, this place kind of looks rough. Yeah. This feels very early '90s. Um, in a way that, I mean, I'm sure places like this do still exist, but um, they're not super. I don't think they'd be super accessible to a, a high school junior. <laughs> no, Dylan, Dylan is at this point. Well, he's he's worldly. Um, we know that. Yeah, he kind of gets so around town. Yeah, right. Uh, the bartender calls him Mama's boy because he's going to have dinner with his mom. So that kind of sets mm-hmm. the tone for what's to come. Kelly, Steve, and Donna are just giving terrible advice to Dylan about his mom. Uh, and Steve kind of says, like, hey, we should all be so lucky to be like Brenda and Brandon and have the Walshes as parents. And they don't disagree. Uh, Dylan's struggling, he says, with having a 24-hour live-in mother because she's arrived from Hawaii like we talked about. Um, and he just leaves. So he's basically – he's just all of a sudden went from having zero authority figure, even when his dad was around. Like, he still was on his own pretty much, to now having his mom in his in his house. So he's struggling. Uh, Brenda's worried. She says Dylan's been ditching school. He's been moody. And she's a little bit edgy. She's going to meet Iris McKay uh, very soon. So she hasn't yet. That's coming. We meet a new professor, Professor Slater, uh, economics. He's handing out uh, papers. And Steve, Kelly, and David all did well. But the best portfolio of stocks put together was Donna, who he says (laughs) kept pace with some of the best mutual funds in the country. So that's uh, quite the high praise of this. Uh, yeah. girl at junior high school in California keeping up with all the uh, you know 
high uh, falutin Ned Johnson's of the world out there, put the portfolios together. She says, uh, after the class, Steve wants to get into the stock market for real. David says his dad got washed in the crash market market crash in 1987, so he's out. And Steve pushes Donna, and Kelly says, don't be stupid. And off of that, Donna basically tells Steve she's in. So she's riding the high of picking the stocks. Um, so, Tim, what do you think of our first few episodes here? We kind of, I mean, first few scenes of this episode. We, we kind of get our B line, obviously, locked in now. We're going to get the stock market stuff. We know the A line is going to be around Iris. So we'll see how this plays out. But uh, any thoughts on these first few scenes? Yeah, I, I will say I just love the opening scene of Dylan in the smoky pool hall. It's, mm-hmm. it's very, I don't know, it just speaks to me in terms of what I love about this show and, and his character, um, you know, and that's, that's thinking ahead to, to some later seasons where we get some great Dylan material <laughs> in a setting like this. Um, but so right away that just, um, kind of, kind of tapped into that, that, um, Pavlovian response that I have where I'm just like, Oh yeah, this is my shit right here with, with this show. Um, knowing that it's going to be like an Iris, episode i'm kind of like like i remember the character i don't remember her Mm -hmm. having a strong presence in the overall show i'm kind of interested to see what they do with that um and where they go Mm. uh and as far as the b plot um well we're giving donna something right yeah and it's sort of i don't know bucking the the trend that they've set up so far which is oh donna's so stupid or (laughs) just i mean they always treat her like the dits um, to the, to the extent that that's even been like a previous B plot of hers where they sort of established that she had like a learning disability and things have kind of revolved around that with her character to one degree or another, I feel like. And here it's like, Oh no, she really exceeded expectations. Mm -hmm. Um, Where are we going to go with this? And it seems like she's, she is going all in um, on this, you know, stock market scheme that Steve has has uh, kind of proposed more so to prove something and to stick it to Kelly, who's like very down on her. I mean, I get you need a voice of reason in a situation like this, and I kind of appreciate that that is Kelly, but she's also being a total bitch to her friend right. um, saying, don't be stupid. Like she she has to know that Donna's got to be very sensitive about you know, that subject, like to, to insult mm-hmm. her intelligence in such a way is like, don't go there, Kelly. That's not cool. Um, but yeah, well, she's saying you, it in such an offhand manner, you know, she really is. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty, it's got, it's coming across as pretty thoughtless, I guess is, is the gist of it. So I don't know. We're headed in kind of wildly different directions. It seems like dealing with the mom stuff and, and wherever this, this side plot with Donna is going to go. Um, Rob, how are you feeling at this point in the in the episode? Well, one of the first things I noticed, like when Dylan comes up to the Walsh's house, he sees his mom's car there. And my first thought was, did she have it shipped from Hawaii? Did she just have one sitting around Los Angeles somewhere? <laughs> right. Yeah. Must have been just That's sitting there, I guess. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, how did he recognize it was her car? Wouldn't she get a rental car or something? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Next thing I noticed is Brenda throughout the entire episode, I felt was just being a bitch to everybody. Mm-hmm. Like at one point, Dylan's like, I don't want to talk about it. She's just like, no, we are going to talk about this now. And yeah, overall, and then it was interesting. It was the B pot. Steve trying to get into um, 
Donna's with her help with the um stock market. Now, how it never clarified how much he put in, if anything. It just said that she put right. in like a thousand dollars and somewhat. But the one thing that stood out to me was the 14 cents that she had in her bank account. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, you better hang on to that 14 cents because that's oh, all some interest in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, so Brenda's talking to Dylan. He's spaced out, doesn't want to talk about his mom, uh, but Brenda's had it. Dylan and Brenda pull up to the Walsh house, and like you said, Rob, we see Iris is inside. Her car's out there and says she's probably inside reading Cindy's palm. They walk in, and uh, maybe not reading the palm, but basically right along those lines, Iris is kind of holding Cindy's hands. She's talking, tell, teaching her how to feel the earth pulsating and uh, doing some more kind of hippie stuff. Iris and Brenda meet. Iris talks to her big time, how great she is. She's heard so much about her. Cindy's impressed as Dylan is just done with all of it. Cindy says, her and Iris have a lot in common. They're both flower children of the 60s. So they've kind of hit it off. At the bank, Donna withdraws all her savings and closes out her account. Kelly keeps trying to talk her out of it, and Donna stays with her plan. Kelly again tells her she's being stupid. Uh, I believe the amount, and, and guys, correct me if I'm wrong, is it $1,124.14? Was that the amount, or did I was I off on that? No, I didn't write it down, but yeah, That'd that sounds right. It was, it was, it was like, right around there. It was around 11. It was right? four figures, less than $2,000, yeah. um, which was well, surprising. That was, okay, yeah. So I guess I'm a little bit shocked that that's all the money Donna had in, in her own Savings. account. I, yeah. yeah, I mean, I. Well, I mean, Perhaps, that's a uh, lot, though, for like a 16-year-old, 17-year-old. Yeah, I suppose. I didn't yeah, have a grant sitting in the bank, you know what I mean? And that yeah, this I certainly earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's like she's working. Uh, all right, we go back to the Walsh house. Iris is holding court. They're having dessert. She's talking about Hawaii and how it's paradise and how much Los Angeles has changed. Dylan's giving a bunch of sarcastic answers. Iris talks about her mellow life and swimming naked at the beach. Cindy says, Hawaii sounds great. But Dylan says, yeah, it was all right. It was boring, though. Uh, Iris wants to then talk about what a psychic said about Dylan, but Dylan leaves. Brenda goes to talk him down and Dylan says, and says, you know, what do you want? Like first you want her to care. Now she cares and they're annoyed. It's too much. So Dylan's kind of all screwed up. Uh, Iris and Dylan leave. Iris is excited to have met a new friend in Cindy. Cindy and Brandon will say they liked Iris, but Brenda says, well, you know what? She's driving Dylan nuts. So it's fine that you liked her, but whatever. So we go to the McKay house. Iris says Brenda has a negative aura, unlike Cindy, who's spiritual. And Brenda's a Scorpio and Dylan's a Libra and they're wrong for each other. Dylan says the relationship with Brenda is none of her business and storms out and Iris is pissed. Uh, so, Rob, up to this point, any thoughts uh, before Dylan heads off in, in anger? No, not really. I mean, it, it seemed like kind of interesting how she was just totally different than Dylan altogether being the whole spiritual person she is. Mm-hmm. Well, and what's interesting to me is we're going to see, I guess it's, well, I don't know. It It's one of these things that maybe makes more or has more depth in retrospect where we do learn more about Dylan's character as the show progresses. I mean, at this point, he is a pretty, he seems like a fairly by the book guy. I mean, he is pretty, thoughtful we've we've kind of joked about how how much more cultured he is than the average 16 17 year old and i mean these things are true and he has interests that are not the same as as his mother's but that doesn't mean that um 
he doesn't need a mother at this point in his life. And, and she is just not connecting with him on, on the level that, that he needs, you know, parentally. Um, it doesn't mean either of them are terrible people. They're just in wildly different directions. Um, and, and cramping each other's styles, frankly. Uh, but, um, I just, I do think it's kind of interesting how later on, and I don't want to dwell on this too much just cause we're not there yet, but as we get more into this series and, and delve deeper into Dylan's character, like there is sort of a spiritual side to him. It's, it's maybe less defined than the stuff that Iris is into, but like, I don't know. He, he does have some thoughts of an otherworldly nature. We'll say, right. Um, and it doesn't seem totally incompatible with, with Iris's beliefs. It's just, I think coming from her, he's just, he's not going to hear it. He's not going to be able to digest it and just thinks this is all bullshit. And like, who are you lady? Like you're supposed to be my mother and, and you're just speaking in platitudes coming off as this ridiculous spiritual guru. And you know, that's, that's the last thing you are to me. Like you're my, one of my two absentee parents and just right to act like that's not even a thing is, Right. You may um, not be in jail, but you know better. Than Jack yeah, yeah. I think it's. I think he just finds it insulting or, or condescending. Yeah. Um. So this dinner, of course, goes very poorly. I, I think it's funny that Cindy is sort of into Iris. Um, mm. Well, she is. A, I mean, we see it play out. We've heard yeah. it a little bit. We'll see it play out. Her and Jim grew up. They were rabble rousers and they hippies, hippies in the '60s. Like they kind of sold. Hippies. Jim sold out mm-hmm. a bit, maybe, but they uh they grew up in that era. So I think. It yep. kind of brings her back when she gets to, you know, live it up, relive it a little bit. Plus, what's Cindy really doing? Like, it seems like right. we've kind of joked about how she she seems to have kind of rotates through different hobbies. Right. Like she was into the recycling thing for a while um, yes. in the first season. Planting, I don't know. She maybe went through gardening. a landscaping. Yeah. Gardening phase. Photography um, or being a model oh for God. photography. <laughs> Yes, photography. Uh, the um, of course, the neighborhood watch in our last episode. Um, mm-hmm. So maybe this is just the latest thing she's picking up, just because right. she's bored at home. Yeah, you know, this this lady who's her daughter's boyfriend's mother seems interesting, and it's something to do. So yeah. All right, Dylan goes to the pool hall. The bartender tells him Bobby Falcone's looking to play. Uh, Dylan says that means he's getting good, uh, or he's looking to play Dylan. And so the bartender says that means Dylan's getting good if Bobby is looking to play. Uh, mm. Dylan gets a beer and a shot, and the bartender tells him he doesn't need the fake ID anymore. He's got him. He's seen, we know. We know he's all good. We go over to the Blaze office at West Bev. Brandon and Andrea are prepping the paper. Brenda comes in. Brandon says, hey, we're about to put this paper to bed. I ain't got time for this shit. Dylan, uh, again, has ditched school. He won't tell Brenda where he's going. Brandon says it's Dylan's problem. And Andrea says, look, you just got to listen. You can't help him. Like, figure it out for him. You, you just got to be there for him. Brenda says Iris took Cindy to a mind gym. Uh, we go to the mind gym, and Iris and Cindy get into some chairs. Uh, Cindy is skeptical, puts on the shades. We get some cosmic graphics. This is pretty much like... You know, if you're in the big ball at Epcot there, like Tomorrowland and all that stuff like this is very much that vibe where you just Mm -hmm. um, what they imagine the future to be like with this uh, little section here at the Peach Pit. Dylan is moping. He's with Brenda. Nat asks what's going on. Uh, He's shocked when Brandon says Dylan has a mother. 
Uh, by the way, we're fully into the new Peach Pit now. We got Nat's got the the classic blue and red. We got ah, the yes. old school diner feel. We're we're out of the uh, weird white, you know, kind of blah vibe. We got the the Peach Pit we know and love is pretty much here now. Right, right. Uh, Brenda's laying it into Dylan. He's shrugging it off. Brandon brings him some coffee. Dylan keeps saying he's fine. Brenda says, "Why don't we study together after dinner to help you out?" Uh, Dylan bails out on lunch, but says he's okay and he'll be he'll be there for studying later. He just needs a break right now. We go back to the mind gym. Cindy and Iris are all smiles. They're having a ginger garlic orange smoothie, which is quite the mix um, uh, overall. Cindy is loving this blissful life. Iris kind of asks about life as a mother. Talks about her struggles with Dylan. Cindy kind of fills her in on his recent troubles that she's been helping with. Iris talks about walking out on her son and says it's not what it seems. She didn't want to. Cindy promises she's not judging, but Iris says, well, I can't kind of help fix the past. I can change the future for her and Dylan. So, Tim, what do you think up to up to this point here? Uh, OK, I'm kind of liking, again, this Iris and, and Cindy relationship. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of more interested in that than the whole <laughs> mother son issue <laughs> right. between Iris and Dylan. Um just because they are two very different characters personality wise, but I'm just, I'm buying this connection because I, I understand as I explained where Cindy is coming from, why, why she's taking an interest in this woman. I also see why Iris would sort of be drawn to Cindy just as like a force of stability and someone to sort of, you know, just that friend to confide in and, and, invent to if nothing else even if they can't solve your problems it just seems like iris hasn't really had anyone to talk to either and uh she's found that that very supportive and most importantly non-judgmental person in cindy uh so i think that's pretty important and i i appreciated this scene it's, it's kind of goofy as the setup is and the uh the mind gem like what are we doing collecting the the infinity stones here like, <laughs> <For it's> just, <laughs> um but again that that does feel very I mean, i'm curious 90s. if this was like, wait, was this, like, a real thing? I mean, it had to be in, uh, in L.A., right? Yeah, like, probably. I mean, they had, think of, like, the whole health spa thing that, right. that was kind of, again, you think of it and associate that with the early 90s. Yeah. Um, I'm sure they had gimmicks like this. It, I mean, it. think of the, uh, you know, like, the Psychic Friends Network and the, the 900 numbers for right. uh, psychic readings and all that shit. It's just so 90s. Um, my God, there's a Miss Cleo documentary on HBO Max right now. So, um, yeah. you know, if you want a real flashback to what this whole 90s woo. Call me now. Like. Call me now. Yeah, um, that was probably offensive. But anyway, uh, yeah, so I, I like that whole setup there. Um, it, I find it interesting that Brandon is sort of more hands off than you would expect him to be. And and just being some kind of supportive friend to Dylan. Like I get it that he, he wants to give him his distance. Um, but they become a lot tighter, especially since that camping episode. Right. Right. Um, where I think they're they're almost playing it. Like maybe the rest don't know how, like Brenda is kind of seeing it. Like no one's really listening to her, how bad it is. That's what it seems like to me. That's the, and that's the weird part too. I mean, they know he hasn't been in school for, she says over a week, um, does Brenda, I mean, that alone ought to tell you, like, unless that's, I mean, I don't know. The way she describes it, she makes it sound like that's really unusual for him. Like, right. maybe he isn't the best student, but he's not absent for days on end. Like, that's right, a, right. that's an unusual and concerning development. 
And I don't know for everybody to just kind of blow it off. I mean, I know, <laughs> I guess I've got, they can't really have midterms coming up, right? We feel like it's still pretty early in the school Yeah, year. it's only September, right? Um, how much is really going on in school? It's just, it. I, I know it's there for like plot reasons. Like Brandon can't get too involved until Dylan <laughs> is almost over the deep end. And uh, we're getting there now with this uh, now casual drinking in the pool hall. We wondered, uh, you know, how how much is uh, how much time is, is Dylan's really spending at this place? How much is he maybe indulging in this atmosphere? It doesn't seem like the best environment for somebody who has struggled with substance abuse in his history. Uh, and here we see it just, um, you know, down in the beer, doing the shot. Um, having the very accommodating bar, what are we calling the bartender again? <laughs> too, too long. Too long, okay. Very accommodating bartender there. Um, and I also enjoy that this wasn't played for dramatic effect. Like, and this is sort of how, uh, this is what a relapse looks like, right? It's not necessarily this whole, you white knuckle, you white knuckle, and then in a dramatic moment, you take the drink. It's sort of like, okay, I'll have a drink. And it's not the end of the world necessarily. You don't make any disastrous decisions right off the bat, but you do begin keeping secrets from people. You do um, begin having problems and, and, and coping issues. Like, And this is a very unhealthy way that you're coping with your problems. And maybe it's going to spiral from there, but it's not going to just it's not going to all crumble with that first drink. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's what this show is, is portraying here. It's, it's like he slipped before again, going back to that camping episode, we saw a relapse there here. Um, it's, it's becoming even more pronounced. Like that wasn't necessarily a one time only event. Like this is going to be an ongoing struggle for Dylan's character. So, um, Rob, I've I've uh, I've said a mouthful here. Um, do you disagree with any of that, or or have a different take on it? No, you pretty much covered it all, except for one thing that bothered me is, I'll tell you a personal thing as a father of two troubled children. When he leaves yeah. the house like that, and she says it's almost midnight, and she just watches him go, my first thought was. You know, isn't she supposed to be here to be a motherly figure? So why isn't right. she doing her job? You know, why doesn't she mm -hmm. call the cops or something like that? I know even any one of my children leave the house at midnight when I say stay. Um, that's the first thing I'm going to be doing. Yeah, she doesn't. Even I, think, I think it's playing up that right. She has no knowledge of how to how to do this. Right. She's just completely lost. So we'll see how it the other thing I noticed was, again, like I said, Brenda was being difficult to everybody. She walks into the paper and she's just like, no, we're going to do this now. I don't care. You guys have a timeline. I don't care what you're doing. Just we're doing this now. Yeah. I don't know. She's in she's full panic mode. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, I don't know if she's just stepping up to try and help Dylan saying we need to do it immediately or if she's just being self-entitled. Well, Steve and Don are at the Peach Pit. Steve's joking about living the high life. They talk to Nat about their luck in the stock market. Donna says she wants to sell, but Steve's living it up and he wants to hold on and ride. Steve says, you may look like a dumb blonde, but you're a wizard of Wall Street, which is Jesus. quite the line. 
just really going in on Donna being an idiot. Uh, at the pool hall, Dylan gets approached by Falcone for a game. Falcone wants to go 50, 50 bucks a game, so that's the bet here. We go back to the Walsh house. They're eating Pakistani food that Iris recommended. Cindy's loving it, Dylan, and says that Dylan's her responsibility. Brenda says Dylan's going to snap if this keeps up. Go back to the pool hall. The game's going on. Dylan's doing well. Falcone is kind of studying him. Falcone cashes out. He gives over his winnings to Dylan. He calls him Rich Kid. And uh, looks like Dylan kind of took him to the cleaners a bit here. Won some cash. Dylan drinks it up to celebrate. So he orders a drink. So he's definitely uh, continuing to tip it back here. We head over to the Walsh house. It's late. Dylan shows up drunk. Brenda is not happy that he's boozing because he stinks. Dylan gives her shit and says, hey, where where do your parents keep the liquid? So he's looking for the liquor cabinet. Dylan wants a shot. Brenda tells him to stop and throws him out. And he leaves and says he thought he could count on her. So really playing up just like typical kind of standard presentation of just like a drunk guy showing up late, her throwing him out, him giving the guilt trip to her when it's, you know, he's the one that's being the asshole storming in here late at night and just really kind of going in heavy with the, with the act. Brenda goes upstairs to tell Brandon about what happened. Brandon shook. He tells Brenda that he knows Dylan had a couple of nips during the camping trip. Brenda blames Iris, but Brandon says his issues are deeper than that. Iris isn't the one making him drink. So again, everyone seems to kind of be honing in more on the real issue more than Brenda, who I think she's just maybe a little bit blinded and myopic, like taking Dylan's side hard. Right. So she's in on just blaming Iris for everything. Whereas everyone else is kind of like, no, like this dude's fucked up, Brenda. Like we know you love him. We, We all like Dylan too, but he's, he's got his issues. I'm like, this is not just Iris making him drink. He, you know, he's a guy where anything pops up could make him drink, you know, right. It's, it's him that goes to it. Uh, so any quick thoughts, Tim, to this point? Um, I think it's important and valuable that Brenda has really been in Dylan's corner up until this scene. And I mean, she's still, and she still is, I mean, she's still advocating for him even, even after they have their blow up, um, which is kind of nice to see. And uh, and I think that's different from from being like enabling behavior because I mean she doesn't know how far into this um, Dylan is is falling with in terms of the drinking and she does throw him out at the first sight of it so she's not enabling his drinking but she is maybe enabling some of his other or or maybe the better term is indulging him to a certain extent in terms of his other issues and um not seeing the big picture, as you said, uh, I thought, you know, going into this episode that Dylan was going to have his major issues with Iris as a mother and everybody else was going to be really taken with her, including, including Brenda, right? Like that's the typical way Mm -hmm. that you write the storyline. So I appreciate, I appreciated the fact that Brenda is not on board with this lady either. Like she kind of resents her just as much as Dylan does. And she's totally in his corner, until he essentially pushes her away by drinking in front of her in her own house, uh, drinking her own uh, liquid, as he says. Um, but uh, yeah, we're, we're seeing that um, this is this is a kind of classic character spiral for this show, and uh, it's it's getting dangerous. Um, Meanwhile, uh, I guess you could say Donna is engaged in some risky behavior of her own, not <laughs> yeah. uh, not following her instincts, not cashing out when she feels like she she should. Listening to Steve, 
Um, and still not getting any credit for having any brains. It's more like, well, for some reason you're you're a real whiz at picking stocks, even though you're a dumb blonde, right? You're still a dumb ditz, can't do anything right. But for some reason, you're just a real ace when it when it comes to uh to to the pickums. So mm-hmm. uh, good on you. I mean, it's it's such a man. It, it's just such a um, casually cruel treatment of this poor girl. But um, I don't know. I guess that's Beverly Hills for you. Rob, any thoughts? I'm just wondering, did you guys ever play the stock market at all? Uh, I don't know if I play it. I mean, I, right. I yeah, I own some stuff, but not. Uh, I've never yeah, personally gotten like, into big, it myself. Heavy into it. Yeah. I've always been too timid. You know, like Donna, I'd probably just get find a small profit and be like, no, let's get out immediately. Unlike Steve, who, again, I wonder how much of his own money he has invested into it. You never really covered that. Mm-mm. And as far as Dylan goes, again, I was really confused on this episode here with the whole drinking part. I mean, at one point, Donna seemed like, or not Donna, excuse me, Brenda seemed like she was fighting for him, you know. And then the other half, she's like kicking him out, going, I'm not dealing with this right now. You'd think she would try to stop him. I, as a first-time viewer, I was really kind of confused at it. Right. All right. Well, we go back to economy class. Slater is teaching about when you should sell, when you should hold. Donna wants Steve to bail out, but he doesn't want to. Slater basically says, what are you guys talking about? She says she doesn't want to be greedy. She wants to take the honest profit and get out. Slater quotes the gambler. You got no one to hold him. Donna <laughs> says she's taking an honest profit, but Steve says Bernie Goldfinger told him to stay and not get squeezed out by the man who just want the, the little people to bail out so they can take all the profits. So they're going to stay in. Thanks to Bernie. Not a good name. <laughs> a little prescient, baby. <laughs> Bernie. Uh, pretty yeah. funny. Yeah. Uh, right? Dylan's the, just, yeah, Goldfinger yeah. is sort of a, I don't know. Right. But, Yeah. <laughs> I definitely did a double take at that line. Seemed like just Dylan. the most generic name they could come up with in this subject. Yeah, and then it ends up being the maybe one of the worst offenders of any kind of stock market stuff in the future. So, uh, Dylan's at school. He apologizes to Brandon. Brandon says he smells like a brewery. He tells Kelly to shut up. Dylan and uh, calls him a she calls Dylan a mean drunk. Brenda tells Brandon to go stop him as he's leaving, but Kelly says it's a mistake to get involved. She says he's an alcoholic and he's going to figure out on his own. He's going to hit rock bottom and then he'll piece it together. Brenda could love him, but she can't save him. So she's using all of her experience, uh, you know, with her mom and really kind of laying it out here, telling Brenda, look, this is how you handle these kinds of situations. You can't keep trying to change him or get in the way. You got to let him figure it out on his own and just kind of be there for support when he needs it. Uh, I thought the back and forth of him and Kelly was pretty intense. I thought that was well done, where he tells her to shut up and basically says you're mean. Dylan tries to drive off, but Brandon stops him. He says, I will drive you anywhere you want right now. Uh, but he's the one that's going to do the driving. And Dylan says, anywhere. And they head, of course, to the pool hall. Brandon is sitting there watching Dylan play all afternoon. Falcone talks to Brandon and says, Dylan took 500 bucks off him. And Falcone basically says, don't feel bad because they've already won it back. Dylan is drinking and playing. Brandon says, hey, look, are we done yet? We've been here all afternoon. And he says, Falcone's playing him like a chump. Dylan's already lost the 500 back. And Falcone clearly hustled him the night before a little bit. 
kind of let him win a little so that he could come back and crush him the next time. Iris and Cindy are fretting over where Dylan is. Cindy's trying to keep her calm, but Iris thinks he's drinking. She says last night he didn't come home. She doesn't know if he, she can keep doing this. And Cindy says, you're a mother. You have no choice. In comes Brenda. Iris is ready to call the police and the hospitals. And Brenda admits that Dylan has been drinking. Iris says, uh, well, maybe Brandon should have made sure he didn't drink. And now Brenda's like had it. She's like, listen, lady, like Brandon's done. <laughs> this is a pretty kill cool line. She said, Brandon's done more for Dylan than you ever have, which is probably true. Besides mm-hmm. birthing him. Uh, Cindy says, if Brandon's with him, Dylan's fine. Trust me, he's okay. Um, you know, Iris obviously projecting, trying to blame Brandon. Falcone is done taking Dylan's money. He wants him to pay up, but Dylan doesn't have the scratch on him. He didn't expect to lose. Dylan says, Falcone, basically Falcone's like, you're either going to give me the money or, you know, we got a problem. I, I only take cash. And Dylan says, well, I guess you're not getting paid. Uh, he tells Brandon to stay out of it when Brandon tries to interlude. Falcone takes Dylan outside. A group of guys kick the shit out of him while they hold Brandon back. Falcone says next time he's going to get mean. This was just a you know preview. And Dylan better have the cash tomorrow. All right. Rob, any thoughts before we get to the big uh, showdown at the Walsh house here? My thought about the pool hall thing was when Dylan have already heard about Falcone's reputation as a hustler. Or do you think he just heard about his reputation of being good and thought I could beat him because he beat him the other night? And Yeah, he's definitely just a stupid kid who's in over his head, right? So he he probably, you know, he's getting pumped. And you wonder, too, like, is the bartender in on the gig? Is Falcone giving him a cut? Because, like, he really pumped Ooh. up Dylan to, like, make him probably feel like he could hang with Falcone, right? He's like, oh, you're getting good. Falcone's asking about you. You know, you. I wonder if it's, like, an ongoing grift that they just kind of take advantage of these the guys that they look like as, like, rich kids coming in here and uh, they work a little two-man game to give Falcone some marks. I kind of like that theory. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I, I, it it does feel like it maybe answers some of those some of those natural questions we might have. So I, I like that. I, I think I'm going to subscribe to your newsletter. <laughs> um, anything else, Rob, on that one? Yeah. No, not yet. Okay. Tim, anything on these scenes? Um, I just, I can't get over this guy's name, Falcone. He's just like this, let's see, the, the, the dawn of Gotham City, like in his early years or something with these small time pool hustles. Just, it's, I don't know. It <laughs> just takes me out of it every time they say that name. But, um, all right. At least now we're seeing Brandon get involved a bit more being the, uh, supportive friend we think of him as. And, um, the whole deal with Brenda, she, I agree with Rob that she is a little bit all over the place in this one. Just she's a real firecracker the way she's sort of blowing up at everybody. But, um, I, I did like the way she basically told Iris to fuck herself. <laughs> yeah, um, it was, it was good. And, and not because of her, you know, her, her, um, I, I guess her, uh, neglect as a parent but when she starts to kind of dog brandon it's like okay now you're way out of line you really don't know what the fuck you're talking about um so she's you know she's taken up for we talked about how she's taken up for dylan she's also taken up for her brother um after basically telling him brandon hey you've got to get involved and he does and cindy is right there backing her up saying well if brandon's there we don't have to worry about them getting into trouble drinking whatever you know dylan dylan made um, being a spiral here, but um, Brandon's going to keep it on the level. And, yeah. you know, good. Uh, nice to see uh, Cindy have that, that kind of 
I guess, faith in her son, even giving some of his, um, his slights and in, in judgment over, over the past season and a mm-hmm. half. <laughs> um, it just, it, it makes sense for their characters. So, um, yeah, this whole thing goes badly. I, I agree that the, uh, the bartender's in on it. I really like that, that idea. And, um, things are going to get real ugly in a hurry here. So, um, I, I like where we're headed with the, um, things coming to a head at the, at the Walsh residence too. We're, we're headed for a big explosion. It, that, that much is clear. I thought they did a good job with the hustling too. Like it wasn't so egregiously in your face. Like it almost takes mm-hmm. you a minute to realize he's already hustled them out of it the way they do it. So yeah, uh, it was, it wasn't like super over the top. I thought they actually were <clears throat> you know, pretty low key with it until they kicked the shit out of them. Yeah. Uh, pretty rough scene. Brandon and Dylan come home. They get piled on immediately uh, about getting home so late. All the parents and Brandon like all pretty much start yelling at them as soon as they walk in the house. Dylan explains what happened because, and then basically steps into the light. And everyone sees that his face is all messed up. He says he lost eight hundred dollars. He lays into Iris about walking out on him. Iris apologizes and she asks to have the room. Brandon promises he wasn't involved. Says he was just helping out. Jim says it's time to stop feeling bad for Dylan, and he's pretty much ready to jump ship on this guy. Jim says Dylan has a mother. They can figure it out, and he forbids Brenda from seeing him until he gets a grip on his life. So Jim throwing the gauntlet back down. on. After he kind of came around on Dylan, he's back out on him now. Iris tries to figure things out, but Dylan says, why should I start listening to you now? And he walks off and leaves the house. Brenda goes after Dylan. Cindy tries to talk down Iris. She says being a mother takes time. Iris hits the realization that she deserves this for her actions, so she kind of hits the acceptance. She kind of went through all the grief stages throughout this. Um, <laughs> yes. Here she is on acceptance now, basically saying, all right, I deserve this. Brenda breaks the news to Dylan, and he agrees, and Brenda says she doesn't want to lose him, and Dylan says he'll be okay. So, I mean, Dylan doesn't even push back on Jim at this time. He's basically like, they're right. Like, I'm a fucking mess. <laughs> you shouldn't be around me. Um, so he's like, can't blame them. We go to school the next day. In comes Steve. He tells Donna and Kelly that the wonderful co- this is like pure asshole Steve. He's like the wonderful company Donna picked is having a problem at the L.A. Sharp Shoe Factory. It burned down in China, wherever the hell he's talking about. <laughs> Steve blames Donna. Uh, he says, "Yo, oh, yeah, way to go. Why did you pick this company? You should have known better." Like it was, it was like real blatantly oblivious by Steve. Um, and Donna says, "Hey, you know, I told you, and you ignored me. I wanted to sell." And then Donna reveals that she ignored Steve and sold yesterday. Steve called mm-hmm. her stupid, called her a wimp. And she said, I made a lot, I made a lot of money. And neither of you, neither Kelly or Steve, should ever call me stupid again. Steve wants to get back in on the game. And this time Kelly's in after they made the profit. So Donna continues to win at the market, proving that she's not an idiot. Dylan wakes up at noon. He talks to Iris over breakfast. Iris owns up to her past issues and apologizes. So she's here for Dylan, but doesn't need to be a full. He doesn't need a full time mom, and she has no idea how to be one. Dylan can kind of see where this is headed, and he tries to talk his way into it because he's realizing that she's about to bail again. He's like, "No, no, you know, we can, we can figure it out." Iris says the best thing she could do is give Dylan freedom, and as a result, she's going to go back to Hawaii, and she's not copping out and splitting on him. But the truth is she wasn't there for Dylan when he needed her and she won't pretend now that he doesn't need her um, when he doesn't need her. She won't pretend now that that he's, she's needed. And she reveals that his dad, Jack McKay, basically, when they got divorced, offered her a bunch of money to stay out of Dylan's life. She could have fought for custody and won, but she thinks that would have taken too much out of her. And, you know, in the end, it wouldn't have mattered. 
So she took the money, she took the pail from Jack and left abruptly and promised herself, though, that she would never touch that dirty money. And she didn't. It's been sitting in an account and she's going to give it to Dylan. Dylan says he doesn't want the money. But Ira says she's already asked Jim Walsh to set up a trust so Dylan doesn't blow it all. And it's going to be there for him. And she wants him to make a good life for himself. And she wants the two of them to start over, builds a new hope, uh, some new, you know, build a new relationship and hopes that someday Dylan could call her mom instead of Iris. And Dylan starts to tear up and cry. Uh, Iris then stops by the Walsh house to say goodbye. She says thanks to Jim and Cindy, asked her to take care of Dylan. They promise they will. Brenda apologizes and says Iris has a lot of courage for what she's doing. Brenda says her and Iris both love Dylan, despite how hard it is. Brandon goes to talk to Dylan. He says he doesn't want to be alone. And he's now an, an emancipated minor. And Brandon says they have somewhere to go. But first they go to pay Falcone. So they go to pay Falcone. We don't see it. Uh, but we wrap up with them uh, going to an AA meeting, just like Dylan did for him when Brandon got in the accident after drinking. Uh, so they wrap up with the two of them. And, you know, this this in itself is a really good episode, but it really is a big table setter for some major stuff. And this is probably outside of the Walsh twins arriving in Beverly Hills and Dylan and Brenda, you know, getting together and having sex or whatever. I would say this is probably the biggest future storyline piece we've had, Tim, since we started. And that is revealing that Dylan now has a trust account with a shitload mm -hmm. of money in it. And it's from his dad. Right. So this ties to whatever he had going on. And it's now in a trust managed by Jim Walsh. Like this is, this was like a major storyline development that's going to drive years, yeah. years of this guy's storyline arcs. So this is probably the, I think outside of the Walsh family coming to Minnesota, it's the most important scene we've, we've had, I think since we started. Yeah. My, my thoughts exactly. Um, it's a real character defining episode for, for Dylan. When people think of this show, and think of the Dylan character as like the rich trust fund kid who has it all, but is always so moody and nothing's ever good enough. It It's because of what they've set up in this episode where now he has come into all this money, um, but he can't really do but so much with it since it's being managed in this trust. And that's going to be a source of conflict. Um and, you know, we've had a, a parental figure come into Dylan's life and just as quickly leave. So, you know, building on kind of the abandonment issues there um, and the idea that, that Dylan is, is this loner who really doesn't have anyone. Like it's um, it's all th this is a real turning point, I guess, is, mm -hmm. is, the, is the crux of it. And uh, I don't know, like it's it's kind of brutal in a way that you would think that the. Um, the takeaway here for, for Iris would be like, I really have fucked up and I've got to, I've got to try harder. I've got to do better to be here for my son um, because I, I can't make up for lost time, but I can still try to salvage whatever relationship we have and whatever is left of his childhood to try to steer him in, in the right way as a mother, like I, I just, I need to do better. And that's totally not, that's totally not the lesson that, that she learns. It's, mm -hmm. it's that he is far worse off with me in the picture than yes. without. 
Um, how sad is that, right? For this, it's it's again, grim. Yeah, it's yeah. The 16, 17 year old kid is just better off with neither parent <laughs> on his own, not even with like a custodian, right? Like mm-hmm. just on his his own than than with one of his biological parents. I mean, it's again, there's plot reasons for that. I understand, but it's it's pretty savage. Um, in a way that's sort of underplayed, if anything, like that, that should be like kind of a, a really, um, impactful moment that they emphasize. And and really it's just, let's get her out of the picture as quick as possible, you know? Right. Um, and then we, we go from here. So rough stuff for sure. Um, but, uh, it's, it's going to be setting us up in big ways going forward. Uh, Donna gets her little victory too, so I guess good on her. I'm surprised that uh, that Kelly and, and Steve were able to uh, share in the riches at all. Um, you know, for for all the good and, and, and encouragement that they were along the way. Fuck them, honestly. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean that that storyline felt again pretty disconnected, but at least it was. Something and it wasn't uh, completely silly like a lot of these B plots are. So uh, I liked it for what it was, I guess. But yeah, this is a Dylan episode all the way. We've kind of been hurting for uh, some some Dylan spotlight stuff this in this second season. I mean, we're ten episodes in now, and uh, you know this is this is kind of the, the meatiest material he's gotten to work with. I feel like, but um. Boy, he he really runs away with this one. I I think it'll be no surprise where kind of our character rankings uh, stack up at the end of the day here. Rob, you know, I was enthusiastic. I had hoped Iris would stick around and they would both kind of learn together. Maybe not necessarily make her a main character, but have her guest star every few now and then. Mm -hmm. And I was really disappointed that he became emancipated and became on his own. And again, maybe I don't have the benefit of knowing what's going on, but it just, it seemed to me just the whole trust fund thing seemed kind of almost like a throwaway to me. And I would think you'd want his, you know, the love of a parent more. You would think, (laughs) Well, I think yeah, she's basically saying, like, <clears throat> yeah, you have the love of the parent, but it's it's hurting him more than helping him because she doesn't understand how to do this. And that the best thing she can do for him is set him up for life. But because he's already basically he's already past the point of needing her, really. I, I mean, yes, she could be there and do her best and fix it. But like maybe four years ago, right? This, this should have been done. It's kind of what she's saying. Now it's like, all right, well, the best I can do for you is to give you this millions of dollars that your dad gave me or whatever, however much it is. I'm guessing it's in the millions um, of dollars that, that he left me, he you know paid me off with. Um, this is what I can do for you as I can ensure you have a safe fallback so you're not just stuck someday, you know, grinding. We've seen him, right? We've kind of scrounging for money at this point with his dad in jail. So I think, th- I think that's just her viewpoint on it. Could she have stayed in LA and tried to improve? Yes. But, um, I think she just really panicked and it's like, all right, ever since I've been here, this kid was doing okay. And I was completely spiraled. 
and and the trust fund now, feels like Iris something that's go ahead rob sorry i said does iris come back at all or is she just a one and done she does oh, she's back she, she, in the future yeah she makes a few more okay. she's not like um she's not like a jackie taylor um you know where it's like every single season she's good for something but she she makes appearances here and there yeah um but to your point like if you're watching this for the first time, not necessarily knowing where things are going um, or, or expecting that this is just a one and done character, like, like a lot of characters on this show are, um, I can, I can definitely see how just establishing that trust fund feels like a total, just a convenient way to hand wave Dylan's issues with, Mm. you know, his lack of parents, like his living situation, like, Oh, here's a convenient resolution to that, right? And and the fact that and and I I do feel like um, earlier in the series that may have been something that they just threw out there and like never mentioned again. But um, the reality is they are going to ring that for a lot of drama um, and and pretty much milk it for all it's worth. So I I, I feel confident in saying if if you keep with if you stick with the show from here, um, I don't think you'll be disappointed because. Uh, wow, do they, um, do they fall back on this quite, quite a lot to drive some, some major Mm storylines. All right, let's get to our trackers here, our awards, I should say first and our trackers, um, best scene. I went with, I don't know. There's a couple of really good ones. I ended up going with Dylan getting his ass kicked. (laughs) Um, I just thought it was like really intense Brandon watching and it almost felt like like suicide by cop for Dylan. Like, it's almost like he wanted to get the shit kicked out of him to like feel something yeah. kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, so I don't know. I, I, that was actually in an, in an episode full of really good stuff. That one, for some reason stuck out of me as like that, like they kept saying, right. Kelly, he's got to hit rock bottom. He's got to hit rock bottom. Like rock bottom for him was just getting the shit kicked out of him in front of his best friend um, for, you know, not having cash mm-hmm. to, to pay a, a hustler. And so it's like, he knew he was going to get hustled and just wanted to take the beating. Well, that combined with his sort of complacency when Jim kind of just, as you said, throws in the towel on him. Because Jim had been uncharacteristically kind of quiet throughout most Mm -hmm. of this until that incident. Um, Yeah, those two scenes or moments in combination really sells you on just how self-destructive Dylan has become here. Um, You know, not just because of you know, his mom being around, cramping his style, recalling all of these issues of past childhood abandonment, trauma, and neglect, but he's also drinking on top of that, mm-hmm. uh, which is going to compound everything. Uh, you know, I, mm, I don't know. I, I think it's along the same lines, but it's, it's when he, it's when he downs that mug of beer. Um, just the way that that's that's right. played and, and acted by Luke Perry. Not that we haven't seen him relapse before again, but mm-hmm. um, I, I thought the way that was set up in this episode was it, just the way it was handled overall was was pretty was pretty tight. Like again, it feels like a realistic portrayal of someone falling off the wagon. So and I, we didn't see the dramatic that. moment of him doing it. It's like they kind of show us mm-hmm. that he's already done it like he's already he's, over he's the kind of already there yeah he's kind of already there he's making bad decisions but he's not it's not the big dramatic melodramatic yeah um after school special kind of 
treatment of this issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's uh, your Rob, your favorite. You with us? I'm. Do we lose Rob? All right, we can come back to it. Uh, most important scene. No, oh, there he is. There he is. Rob, who was your, uh, what was your best scene? Let's start on for a second. To me, I thought the most, the best scene was the most entertaining was the second pool hall scene where the whole thing about the fake ID and them not caring about anything that was going on in there. Right, you right. see all these signs that say no smoking at the pool tables and just the whole building filled with smoke. <laughs> that and is really like, funny. As, as you know, obviously we're going to set these rules for a purpose, but nobody seems to enforce them. Right. Yeah, no, well, again, I think like, there. Yeah. It just led me more and more to feel like it's just like a syndicate setup. Like they let these rich kids in Beverly Hills come in, they puff them up for a few weeks. Oh, you're getting good. You're getting good. You're getting good. Oh, hey, Falcone's taking a liking to you. He wants to play you. Falcone lays down the first night and then rips him off the next night. Like it's, it seems like it's probably a rinse repeat setup. Slipping Jimmy, slipping Jimmy and Kim working their magic. I like it. I like it. All right. Most important scene. I went, uh, obviously the movie's talked about, I mean, it's finding out that Dylan is now going to be, uh, have, you know, a whole bunch of money sitting in a trust and Jim Walsh is in charge of that money. So this is, this is like, you know, where and it's, it's a big move for the Walsh's too. Cause they're kind of going all in on not adopting Dylan, but, They've agreed directly to Iris's face that they're going to help watch him and make sure he's okay. And Jim's in charge of the money. So, like, this is not just big on Dylan, but it's like a big step for the Walshes. They're basically indirectly adopting this guy. Yeah. um, They're going to be the closest thing to guardians in a parental (laughs) sense that that he's going to have. I think by definition that... Breakfast with Iris has to be our, our most important scene, just knowing what's to come in this. Again, we, we do have the benefit of hindsight here that other folks may not have watching this for the first time. But um, I, I think I've, I've got to agree that that's the most important scene. Would Same you agree, Rob? Rob? Um, I can only go based on what you guys are saying. Like I said, this whole episode is kind of confusing to me. Everyone just seemed right. all over the place. One time they're trying to help Dylan. Next thing they're kicking him out of the house. One scene, you know, um, Brenda, Brandon is saying, just let him go. And next thing he's taking him to AA. It's just, it seemed to be all over the place to me. So I can just take what you guys say. Yeah, it's it's definitely the most important. Uh, all right, most 90s look. I didn't think we got a ton in this episode. I went with, um, in the opening scene at school, Brenda's wearing like a shirt and tie. That mm. felt very just kind of 90s chic. Yeah, we've, we've seen her with that look a couple times. I'm going to actually go with, um, and there's not anyone in particular, but it's, I mean, not any one outfit in particular, but Donna wears a lot of these, I think exclusively floral prints in this episode. Um, that again, just feels super 1991 and they're not, they're not extraordinarily loud or gaudy or anything. It's just that that seems like a, that floral print pattern thing on dresses just feels, you know, super early Mm -hmm. nineties. And I jump out at you, Rob. I didn't pay attention to the outfits in this one. 
I was busy trying to figure out what was going on and who was <laughs> on whose side. There you go. Uh, most 90s moment, I went with the mind gym. Again, then it's felt very, I mean, futuristic, I guess, in a way, but it was like the 90s yeah. vision of the future. It reminded me of that. Um, you ever watch that show, either of you, Maniac on Netflix? Um, and um, what the hell is her name? The girl from ECA, uh, Emma Stone. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did you watch that? Um, no, but I, now that you mentioned, I am, I am vaguely familiar with, yeah, uh, it's worth the watch. I found it interesting, but it's like, it reminded me of that. It was like this weird, I think that was set in the eighties too. And it's like, it's like a early nineties. It's like from that Mm -hmm. time frame, And, um, it's like this weird futuristic kind of mind F of a, of a show. Yeah. yeah. It reminded me of that. Um, yeah, I mean, there's that, um, I think the smoky pool hall is also super early nineties. Mm-hmm. In fact, it, it, now that I think about it, it kind of reminds me of this place that we had, um, in this, uh, strip mall across from the apartment complex that where, um, I lived for a couple years, like in early elementary school. That's, that's like the closest thing uh, in, in terms of like, uh, what feels like a realistic, depiction of of what that again that bar slash pool hall was where it's not like you described um a, a nice bar with uh billiards and darts and video games and dave and busters type stuff um but almost like a dive bar right um that's yeah that's what it reminded me of so i don't know maybe the nostalgia of that i'm gonna go with the the pool hall <laughs> Um, Rob, what's your most 90s here? To me, the most 90s thing is, as you guys touched on earlier, this whole psychic reading of the thing, you know? Mm, Yeah. I felt it was very, you know, like you said, calling the 900 numbers. (laughs) Yeah. And it seemed like everybody back then was, oh, yeah, I'm psychic too, you know? All right. Uh, best lesson learned. I went, don't play pool with a guy named Falcone. Uh, that was a setup from the start. Um, that's that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't don't get hustled when you're a high school junior in the uh, in the dive bar where where you're uh, able to drink on your fake ID. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's not really a great there's not a great takeaway in terms of. I know we kind of shit on these lessons sometimes. Well, pretty much every time, but mm-hmm. um, it's, it's really not like a good wholesome lesson in this episode. Again, the closest thing we got was Iris's realization that she's just a shit parent and needs to, needs to hit the bricks. Um, maybe not the, the message we want to be putting out into the world, but um, Hey, it, it's, it's their reality. So, we have to we have to work with that. Um, <laughs> Rob, do you have another spin on this by any chance? Again, you know, I like the whole AA scene at the end and how um, Brandon just he never gave up on his friend. He realizes that what he needed to do to try and help him out. And, you know, just told him I still believe in you and we're going to go ahead and get this fixed. You know, just a sampling stone. That's all. No big deal. It doesn't need to be the end. Right. 
All right. Um, best hookup, I went Cindy and Iris. I thought uh, seems to be the best hookup on anything here. We didn't really have anything romantic going on in this episode. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Might as well, for lack of anything else, we'll say Cindy and Iris. All right. Um, best quote. I had two. That, I mean, there was some good ones in this one. I had a couple that stood out. Iris saying you get a real rush from the garlic when they have the smoothie uh, was, was quite the statement. And then I thought Steve had the best one. She said she may look like a dumb blonde, but just, she's a wizard of Wall Street. Yeah, that was mine. You have any other All the stuff right? directed at Donna, I, I kind of. Oh, yeah. I mean, they, it's very they mean. Roasted her, yeah. <laughs> they really do. And, and she gets the last laugh. So I, I don't I don't feel bad putting those down since she did uh, win the day, ultimately. <laughs> I like the whole line about the um, the uh, shoe factory burning down, and brings back to how these things can change so rapidly and so quickly. You know. Yes. Yeah, that was guy. He was going so fast to that. What the fuck he was even talking about? I know. But it was it was pretty good. Uh, all right, final grade. I, I like this episode a lot. Um, I thought it was a, as a standalone, it, it had value, and then obviously driving forward a major arc of the story, not just this season, but seasons to come. So there's a high level of importance in there. We met Iris, who's a big, uh, you know, future, even when she's not there, her presence is felt throughout all this. It was a big step up for Donna. Uh, I ended up going eight and a half, Tim. Um, yeah, I am going to go kind of hovering between eight and eight and a half. And I guess I'll be, I'll be the Debbie downer and just give it an eight, but that is an extremely high rating Mm -hmm. um, for any episode. Very respectable. It's just, um, it's like not the best use of the ensemble is the only thing that really dings it. However, I am such a Dylan Mark that I kind of don't care. Um, And it's, uh, it's actually giving us something, for Donna, which is still a rarity in these early seasons, and something that isn't totally insufferable either. Like I, I kind of like her little subplot, mm-hmm. as at odds as it is with with what's mainly going on around here in this one. But um, yeah, I mean it, it's mainly for the fact that it is a strong Dylan episode, and it is um, an extremely formative episode, like for the the series as a whole, uh, which I wasn't really fully prepared for going in like i knew it was dylan iris mother son stuff we'd be dealing with but i i don't know that i was prepared for the trust fund and all that to get established i had no clue that was coming here yeah it caught me up yeah like i figured it would be this season but maybe a little bit later down the line you know i mean this feels early for that but uh be that as it may yeah it's worth uh worth an eight for me good enough Certainly. Uh, Rob, I don't know if you're as effusive over this one as we are. No, I'm not. Um, when I was watching it, I thought it was uh, one of the standalone episodes. Especially at the end when she went back to Hawaii, I figured we'd never see her again. So I'd probably give it probably a six and a half. Fair enough. Yeah, I think it's tough without the, like you said, without the context of like what this means, um, and just getting yeah. get dropped into it. Uh, I could see why it would be a little all over the place. All right, so let's. This whole trans fund thing seems just like a throwaway line to me. 
Right. Oh, yeah, definitely not. <laughs> it's a, like I said, it's like the biggest thing we've seen, probably. Um, all right, let's get to our trackers here. For new characters, we had uh, Too Long, the bartender. We had uh, Mr. Slater, the economics <laughs> teacher. Sorry. Iris McKay, obviously a big one. And then Bobby Falcone, I think that pretty much covers it. Yep, I don't have anyone else. Some of the uh, unnamed goons that are backing up Falcon. Yeah, sorry, we'll leave them off. <laughs> I think you need at least have a name to make to make our lists. You need um, a name at least for yeah. sure. Or or multiple lines like the bartender. We never get his name, but <laughs> talks a bunch. Uh, relationships. I'm with Dylan and Iris, and Iris and Cindy, and uh, places and things. I had the pool hall and the mind gym. I don't think we really went anywhere else. <laughs> right. Uh, music in this episode, per uh, the site we have, The Forecast Calls for Pain by the Robert Cray Band. That's the opening scene when Dylan's playing pool. Mother-in-Law by Ernie K. Doe at the Peach Pit when Brenda's trying to help Dylan. And Born Under a Bad Sign when Dylan's playing with Falcone uh, Pool. That's by Albert King. So that's what they have listed on the site here. And with that, let's get to our character ranking. Uh, we had five characters that did not appear. There was Mel, Jackie, Henry, Emily, and Scott. Uh, Tim, do we want to include Iris or is she like, like, right. I feel like she's probably at least on par with Emily, but yeah, I don't know. Like she, I mean, technically she is going to be recurring. Um, you know, we've talked about at some point splitting these secondary yeah, we do that. I mean, we keep talking about characters. it. We just haven't done it. I know we keep not on the show. We haven't been talking about it, but you and I have been talking about it. You're right. So I kind of think maybe we go ahead and, and rank her with the understanding that she ain't going to be on this main list for too much longer. Spoiler alert, folks. A lot of right. these, a lot of these names are not. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we can include her. I mean, she's gonna, feels, she's gonna yeah. be up there though. Like with, um, you know, like Mel finished high in his first one. Like sometimes mm. these characters are really good, so they they almost check in with like a a normally high score. You know. Yeah, and I feel like that's okay because the less they appear, the more they're going to get buried, right? right. It's just going to yeah. take some time. Okay. All right, so, so we'll include uh, Iris. Yeah, I mean, I definitely debated it also. I think that if if we if this was just a one-off, I'd be like, eh, no, forget right. it. But, I mean, she is going to have future appearances. She is a yep. parent of one of the main cast members. I think, you know, once we get to, like, seeing Donna's parents. Um, we've already met Mel. Uh, like, I mean, even, you know, Val's mom is going to show up a few mm -hmm. episodes. Like, we sort of... Well, we know Mel and Jack. Like, I mean, yeah, they're in a lot. I th and I do think yeah. there's stretches of Iris. I don't think it's, like, three more. I think she is in, um, you know, a decent amount more, at least throughout the time. So we'll see. We'll yeah, put her on for yeah. now. All right, so those are our five with nobody, with no uh, appearances. I had Nat last, and then David at the bottom. Um, I, I, right. I don't know. I guess yeah. David could be below. I mean, I don't know. Like David at least had the line with my dad got washed to the stock and crash of '87. Um, yeah, yeah. So I had Nat, then David, then Andrea as the bottom three. Yeah, easily. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Then I had Kelly. She's got a couple of good one-liners, but she's more like background noise other than the one scene about Dylan. But I didn't, mm -hmm. looking at the list, I just don't feel like anyone had less than her that's of the people left, so. Not really. I would agree. Yep. Okay. 
Uh, then I had Jim, who, yeah. again, like, I think it's just such a loaded episode. Like, normally, what he did would be enough to be up there. But, again, everyone above him. I mean, I got Steve next. And, like, he was a big part of the episode. But, um, yeah, yeah. I, again, I don't know. I don't, anyone could put him above. Then I had Brandon, which is low for him. But I guess Brandon and Cindy you could talk about. What do you guys think of that? Because I had, I had Brandon and Cindy as the next two. I would almost want to flip them. You think you'd yeah, have I could, Cindy first and Brandon? Flipping. I could see flipping them. Um, it is interesting that Cindy has a stronger presence in this of all episodes than Jim does. Like, clearly. And we're honestly debating between her and Brandon. Um. I'm comfortable either way, honestly. I, I, I see them being on pretty equal footing. Okay. All right, let's go Let's go. Uh, Cindy mm. at 12, then Brandon above her. Then I had Brenda next. Um, yeah, strong presence. And then I think the big three are Iris, Donna, Dylan. So, like, what order would you have them? Probably... Donna, Iris, Dylan. Yeah. It's it's hard to have Donna that high in this episode, even though she she gets the B plot. Um, it's not like it. It's not like that B plot gets a lot of screen time, you know. Right. Um, but it is a pretty. I mean, I think strongest showing she's had in this series to date. Yeah, one of the few times she hasn't felt like a background character. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. Do you know I would that higher? That higher no, I wanted to have Donna second, honestly, but okay. I, Iris drives the episode more, so I think I think that makes sense. Okay. Um, all right, so we have Iris at 16. Okay. All right, so we have Mel, Jackie, Henry, Emily, Scott all at zeros, Nat at six, then David, then Andrea, then Kelly, Jim, Steve, Cindy, Brandon, Brenda, Donna, Iris, Dylan. Um, Tim, do you want to quickly tell us about what's going on in our world of podcasts and we'll get to our final rankings? Sure. Um, I would just uh, like to thank everyone for listening and subscribing to this podcast you're hearing right now, if, if you are not subscribed and like what you've heard, um, please do so. Uh, every bit, little bit counts. Um, and this is, I guess I'll just say this is our, um, as of this recording, our, our last episode of the year 2022. Um, not that we're going to be taking a break or anything. Just want to acknowledge that fact and kind of acknowledge how far we've come kind of to our own Mm-hmm. Um, amazement at times, I think. I don't know why we continue to pat ourselves on the back, so to speak. I, I don't <laughs> want it to feel like that's what we're doing. I think we're just astonished. That this is the stuff it's hard to stick to sometimes. You know, it is. We... I mean, this it can be daunting going into a project like this where you're looking at a long-running television series. Mm-hmm. We're talking something that was on the air for 10 years, 10 seasons, and these are not short seasons by any right. means. This is a 90 show, a peak 90 show. We're going to be getting into some 30 plus episode seasons and that's really intimidating when you're starting a podcast and just wondering how long can we keep doing this and uh 
I don't know. I've been really impressed with our consistency um, and just the, our enthusiasm. Like, I, I don't know about you, JT, but this is, this is a podcast that I always look forward to doing. It never feels like, oh, God, I got to get to this, right? No, or, definitely not. Yeah. You know, it's in terms of prep, there's there's not a ton to it. It's, you know, it's, it's easy to to schedule for the most part and, and just fun to talk with you and our, and our guests each and every episode. So, uh, just, just want to thank you, uh, JT for continuing to string me along for the ride. Cause I don't know that I expected this to be a regular thing for me. Um, but I've certainly enjoyed, uh, every bit of it. And, uh, just again, thank the listeners as well. Um, we don't have a Patreon or anything like that, but there's different, various different ways you can support us, support the show, um, again, primarily by subscribing to this podcast network, uh, Beverly Hills 9021-NOSO on your preferred podcatcher app. Um, write us a review also on iTunes. That's something that certainly boosts our visibility, oh, yeah, um, boosts our rating. Yep. Yeah, drop us, a, drop us an old five-star if, if, it, if it suits you, if you've got the time. Um, nice non-monetary way to support your favorite podcasts. Uh mm-hmm. We are an affiliate, a spinoff, in fact, of the North-South Connection podcast network. Just a variety of great pop culture content you'll find there. A lot of pro wrestling-related shows, some comics content as well, some sports stuff. Um, just a, a bevy of, of uh, entertainment options for you on the North-South Connection. So check that out as well if you're so inclined. You can find me on Twitter occasionally. Uh, I am at Syke68CYKE68 on Twitter. I may become more active in the new year. Won't call it a New Year's resolution necessarily, but maybe I'll do better going forward. Rob, um, is there anything you'd like to put out into the world to promote or uh, tell the folks uh, before we bid you adieu? You know, I was uh, recently on the um, PTBN Christmas show, and we had a lot of fun doing that. And if you haven't checked it out, I recommend you check that out on your favorite um, podcast app. Myself, I use Podbean. But just go ahead and check us out on that and leave us a five-star review. Yes, that would be on Place to Be Nation, Place to Be Nation Wrestling specifically, um, our annual Christmas play. It's... uh, it's quite the doozy. It's mm-hmm. it's, uh, Always is, yes. uh, it, it's a lot of free entertainment. I'll I'll, I'll tell you that much. Uh, a, a cool what three three hours three and a half, hours. <laughs> three and half hours. So if you got some time to kill um, and you need a laugh. Do check that out. All right, uh, let's get to our uh, final rankings here. So here's our season two standings. Uh, only season two. Mel Silver's in last with twelve points. Scott Scanlon with 13, Iris McKay and Emily Valentine tied with 16, Jackie Taylor with 18, Napa Suchio with 32, Henry Thomas at 47, Donna Martin up to 70, Kelly Taylor at 76. Kind of surprising they're so close together. I feel like Kelly's really kind of stepped back a little bit this season mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, Andreas Zuckerman at 77, David Silver at 79, Steve Sanders at 84, Cindy Walsh at 94, Jim McKay at 101. Brenda Walsh at 122, Dylan Pastor, Dylan McKay in this episode up to 123, and Brandon continues to pace the episode at 132. Here's our overall ranking. Uh, Mill Silver at the bottom with 12, Iris and Emily at 16, Jackie at 31, Henry at 47, Scott Scanlon at 77, Napasuccio is past him, he's at 82, 
Donna Martin at 151. It's kind of in her own little universe there. Then we jump up to David at 206, Andrea at 220, Kelly at 245, Jim at 259. Cindy broke their tie. She's at 261. Steve Sanders just above her at 265. Then Dylan McKay is at 283. And then it's way ahead is Brenda Walsh, 365, and Brandon Walsh at 373. So there's all our rankings, and uh, continue to track that as we go. Tim, we'll be back in a few weeks with the uh, next guest, of course, as we continue to see the fallout. We'll see if Emily returns. I, you know, I've just I been against her at all, so we'll see yeah. if she pops back up ever here or uh, what's Whoa. going on. So we'll track that. Rob, I want to thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll have you back on as well, I'm sure, in the future. So it's always good to talk to you there. And otherwise, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. Talk to everyone soon. Happy New Year. Thanks for listening. Do all the stuff Tim asked you to do. It would be a nice uh, holiday gift to us if you did that. Otherwise, have a little dim sum, a little dem sum, and we'll talk to you soon. Born on the bad side.